I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready for a university that will help me advance in my education and career. A university that will make me feel supported and connected. I'm ready for ODU Online. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. Joining me on the podcast this week from Sacktown Royalty, Bryant West. Bryant, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Tony. How you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. Uh, I've actually I've been fighting off an illness for like the past week, um, which has only manifested itself in my throat. So if my voice sounds bad, uh, I'm just letting everyone know that that's why. Or worse than normal, it probably always sounds bad, but if it sounds extra bad. Uh, this week, that, I, think, I think uh, I think I think 80% of the country is is suffering from that, that right that now. That is so. true. It's very dry this winter. Yeah. Um, so that'd yeah. be part of it too. I might not actually be sick. It might just be dry. And uh, I bet all of our audience is sick too, because especially bad in California right now. Is it? I wouldn't know, but I'm sure. Oh yeah, right terrible. This is a great time of year. NBA trade deadlines coming up. This is the best college season in a long time stuff is interesting pretty much on both ends of the sport so loving it right now i was gonna say i've been thinking about this almost every morning you know i get up uh open up my i think i use yahoo sports app more than the other ones just check the nba schedule um hoping the kings are on every morning which i think is a positive sign like i don't know what that says about anything but just the fact that i'm still excited to watch this very bad team who has already you know decided that they were gonna quote unquote tank like they're resting the veterans which is kind of what we want anyways but uh, still being excited about Kings basketball um, for a team that's going to win 20 to 30 games. Um, Absolutely. Like you said, it's, it's nice. Like I still, I'm still can't wait every morning. I'm hoping the, the Kings are on that night. So that, that Florida road trip was, I think as fun uh, a two game stretch as the last couple of years. Yeah. It's been Just, fun. I mean, cause that Miami game was, you know, as good as any game we've had in a long time, but just this team is interesting and and since they're playing the youngsters and since they're starting to rein in the vets a little bit although not in that new orleans game but they didn't have much of a choice there um it it, it, they're just interesting from a i mean we know they're going to lose and it doesn't matter quite so much as the last couple of years because they're playing all the young guys and the young guys are for the most part doing okay and and if they end up Losing doesn't really matter because this class is really good. Yeah, so we're, we're going to hit the draft at the end for sure. Um, but because I haven't had you on at all this year, I kind of wanted just to get your general, you know, kind of check in with you on your confidence level in the rebuild so far. We're halfway through the year. Um, are you comfortable with how the Kings have developed the young players they have already? Uh, are you, you know, do you feel good about where they're headed? All of that sort of stuff. For the most part, um, I think, uh, you know, anytime that you're going to be losing this many games and, and, and everybody's so young and everybody's still figuring out how to play with each other, it, there's going to be, like, big moments of frustration and long stretches where no matter how much you rein in your expectations, they're just it's, they're not winning. But as long as they're fun and as long as you see incremental progress in, you know, a majority of the players, I'm a happy guy. And, and we're seeing serious um, improvements from Fox over the last month. Uh, Bogey has looked good until about a week and a half ago. Then he kind of hit his wall. Um, I've been really happy with how Willie's been this year. And uh, you can just keep going down the list. Most guys, I'm. Uh, if you had toss a coin, I'm pretty much okay with most guys, and really happy with a couple of them. So I'm I'm pretty okay. Um, I wish that Dave Yeager would start um, getting a more consistent rotation because it's just not fair to pretty much anybody except for Fox and Willie and Bogey. They're guaranteed, you know, 28 minutes a night, but. 
you're never going to know what Justin Jackson is. You're never going to know if, if um, Buddy Heald is actually a starter. If you just keep yanking their minutes around, and I understand that he is a coach that more than most rebuilding coaches likes to play the matchups, but I'd love to see a more consistent rotation. But it's hard for me to criticize him too much when his plan for Willie is, for the most part, checking out, when I'm loving where De'Aaron Fox has gone in the last month and where Bogdanovich is coming along pretty well. So it's hard to criticize too much given the roster construction and my really low expectations coming into the season. So I'm okay. And, and again, it's not really fair for me to say because every loss for me is just another inch closer to Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic or DeAndre Ayton. So I'm happy either way. Yeah, I would agree with you um, on pretty much all of that. Me and uh, Jill and I spoke about the rotation, uh, mainly just the inconsistency in the starting lineup last week. And like you, I'd like to see him get a little bit more consistent. Um, a guy like Buddy Heald is someone who... I've been watching his numbers just go up all year, and I'm so curious. Like, So the Kings, they don't have a lot of talent on this roster, particularly offensive talent. I mean, they, they, they are, have one of the worst offenses in the league, which is understandable for a, for a young team. But like you were saying with Buddy, I'd love to find out if, what that guy is, and I don't think 24 minutes for him is enough. 24 minutes a game for yeah. him is enough. I wish that, because yeah, you're such a matchup coach. I wish that he would just play small for two weeks and start both Buddy and Bogey because I think that Bogey has enough of the handling skills that he can play off Fox that we wouldn't really lose much of the the ball handling. And I'd, I'd just love to see Buddy get a longer stretch with the starters because I know there was that easy storyline early in the season that said, oh, he's sucking with the starters, and then he did really good off the bench. But I think that was just looked like a shooting slump that just lasted a little longer. And, yeah. and now that he's kind of back to normal, I mean, it, there's really, I mean, Jaeger's always going to start one veteran and it's pretty much always going to be either George Hill or Garrett Temple, but we're going young. I really wouldn't mind seeing five, six games where just played the three of them together. Yeah. How else are you going to know what buddy is? Yeah. If we don't see those three guys start for a stretch, uh, at some point this season, I'll be kind of disappointed. Like that, you you have to start figuring out some things, and I think Jaeger has. Like, I think he's finally cemented Willie Collie Stein in as the starting center, um, and he's injured now. Yeah. But for a while, like, all right, Willie has that role now for the most part. Good. Same with De'Aaron Fox. Like he's working in George Hill and Garrett Temple, but he's still starting De'Aaron Fox at point guard. Good. We cemented that. Um, for the most part, it seems like Bogey is starting, whether that's at the three or the two, depending on if Temple or Hill is starting. Good, we cemented that. And all those guys have earned it. Um, and I think, based on the numbers, Buddy's earned an opportunity, too, and he just hasn't gotten it yet. So I hope at some point Jaeger sort of changes his course there and, and gives gives Buddy another opportunity. I was surprised to see, you know, for how much lineup shuffling Jaeger has done, Buddy's only started 11 games. That was surprising to me. That jumped off the screen for me when yeah. I was looking at the numbers. That is kind of surprising, especially since this team really does struggle at long stretches to score. And and I know that Jaeger kind of balances it because he knows that Buddy can be that off-the-bench scoring guy. But even if he's going to be that off-the-bench scoring guy, he really does deserve nearly as many minutes as, as any of the other guys. So I'd like to see that balance. But again, it's... <laughs> The third time I've said this, it's it's hard for me to to be too angry with Jaeger when I'm I'm loving how Fox is improving, and 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 I'm happy with where mostly happy with where Willie is. So if if he's more impatient with his roster, that just means that we should have a little more patience because it's it's kind of working out with I'd say two of the three or four most important pieces on this team going forward? Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, who... We all knew that all these guys weren't going to develop, right? It's impossible. No, the Kings absolutely. Had, was it 10 guys or 11 guys on rookie contracts coming into the year? There's no way all those guys are going to be good. Impossible. No. Um, yeah. But the high picks, the ones that you need to work out, are working out. 
Buddy Heald was Buddy Heald, Bogdan Bogdanovich, De'Aaron Fox, Willie Cauley Stein are the I guess the I don't know highest ceiling or, or the the most likely to develop out of the, all the young guys because they were picked higher. Or Bogdanovich, he wasn't picked higher, but he had a pedigree overseas that we thought he was going to be a good player. And those yeah, ones are absolutely. the ones that are developing. So as far like like I asked you, as far as confidence level in the rebuild, you know, I, I still don't like I like all the young players. I don't know how I still think they're missing like very important high end talent. Like I don't know how much star potential is in their young core right now, aside from maybe Fox. Maybe you feel differently about that. But uh, I still think they're missing like a very high end prospect. Hopefully, they get one this year. But the guys no, I, that they, I, I completely agree. Yes, yeah, so, but the guys that they need to develop, the ones they have been picking higher, like or have been drafted higher, like Buddy. They didn't pick Buddy, but he was a higher pick. Those are the ones that are playing well. So, how much complaining can I do? Like the ones that aren't necessarily playing so well, like Ascala Basier, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Not that he's playing terrible, but he's not playing as well as the other guys. Or like Justin Jackson's been up and down. Malachi Richardson has been kind of invisible. Papianis has been kind of invisible. But those guys are the ones that were always question marks. So I can't, you know, I can't say it's been a failed season because guys that were always question marks are still question marks. Yeah, I think the most important one is Fox, um, and it, it pains me to say this because I think I'll literally get nauseous just from saying this. But Tim did a really good piece <laughs> this morning. I'll give Tim a lot of credit. On, on Tim's been doing a lot of good work on, this year for us. Yeah, he has. He, and, and that piece was really good because, yeah. I mean, this last month has been great from Fox. Honestly, I, maybe this was just because I had more reservations about Fox last June than most people. Mm-hmm. He was seventh on my final board, and, and, and everybody knows how much higher I was on Dennis Smith Jr. than Fox. You were right on that. Um, I mean, but, you nailed Dennis Smith. Yeah. Well, he's not shooting that well right now, and that I think that's only because Dallas has just given him the full green light. Mm-hmm. But I think Zach has been giving Fox that green light, too, which has been good to see. There's a, there's a balance here between uh, Fox getting more aggressive just in – in his own play style. And the Kings just saying, Hey, this young rebuild, this youth movement that we're pushing forward, it starts and ends with you Fox. So the something clicked in him, but he's also gotten a green light to run more stuff from himself. Like, would you have seen Fox shooting six threes a game two months ago? No, Jaeger would have yanked him in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So it, both the confidence and the team's confidence in him it has been fantastic to see. And I think that all comes down to the shooting. Um, shooting has been fantastic to see. Um, he's still not great for mid-range. Like, I looked up his numbers, and, and I was honestly surprised at how poor his mid-range game still is. Like, even this last month, he shot like 19% from 10 to 14 feet and 25% from 15 to 19 and, and this is the best month he's had, period. But mid-range shots are the least important shot in basketball. So it's easier to dismiss when you consider that he made more threes in January than he did the other three months combined, and he's making 42% of his makes. Yeah, and, I, man. Yeah, it, it's just been great to see because I know it's easy to dismiss and say, oh, maybe his – shot wasn't as bad last year as it looked maybe it was just like a one-year slump or this is the return to norm I, I don't think we can say that because really as somebody who watched fox probably like 18 games last year the shooting was really bad like I, I i kept using this number every time i wrote it up and it was from synergy on jump shots last year he was 26 27 percent in the half court he shot 27 percent in that, a half court. That's gross. It's absolutely terrible. And I think by saying, oh, this is how, this is the shooter he is, he's a, I don't know, above 38% shooter from deep. No, I think that's dismissing the significant work he's put into this year. Like, applause to him. He knew that this was his biggest weakness coming in. Um, and, and, and he's done a great job turning it around. Fox has been um, super impressive. I guess what I wonder is, like, what changed for him? 
Tim had mentioned the up and down of Fox's year so far. He started off real hot. Seemingly, as soon as Jaeger put him in the starting lineup, he kind of started to slump a little bit. Then he got hurt. Then he came back. And what I'll say about what Fox is doing, like there's there's always this thing with a small sample size and a player who's doing something that he wasn't labeled as being able to do, where it's like, well, is he shooting this well over 14 games in January just out of luck or like or or what? Because he wasn't he's not supposed to be a shooter, but. When you watch Fox play, and I know sometimes eye test analysis is like people don't like that because it's so, so much of it is opinion. When I watch Fox play and I see the numbers he's putting up, it doesn't look like some like some incredible performance that he's doing every night. It looks very like flow of the game, like natural type stuff. It doesn't feel like a ridiculous hot streak to me. That doesn't mean he's going to shoot over forty percent from three all year. But it doesn't seem like yeah. this, it doesn't seem like he's playing at his full potential right now, even yet. It just seems like he's playing basketball, like playing good basketball night in, night out. It's not like he's oh, you know, dominating every single game. He's just playing solid basketball for thirty whatever minutes Yeager's playing it for. Yeah, I, I I agree. There's still, I mean, like I said, that mid range. Um, mm-hmm. If he gets more dangerous from there, guys are going to have to respect him closer to the basket, and that'll give him more space. Um, I think he's been passing fine, but I, every game or so I keep seeing uh, it, either Bogey or Buddy will be open on a second and, and Fox won't see it. I, and his defense has been okay. Um, he tries really hard. Like my, I think my second favorite play from that Miami game, besides the game-winning dunk, of course, the, Jaeger put him back in with the seven-minute at the seven minute mark. And the first thing Fox does is I don't remember how the play happened, but all of a sudden, um, uh, justice Winslow is running from the baseline in for a clear dunk and Fox isn't like out of the way, but he, he should have known, Oh, I, I'm not going to get there in time. And he just throws his whole self, all of his weight trying to stop Winslow. And he can't cause Winslow was too far, but he just no regard for himself, just throws himself ends up in the cameraman just trying to stop on defense. And that's kind of how he's always been. Even since college, he's a motor guy. He is an incredibly high motor guy. And even though he was seventh on my board, I always said that if you believe that Fox could be a better shooter than he was, then he could absolutely be a really good player. And Throughout this season, I've been comfortable with what I've seen. Even when he wasn't shooting so well in December, I, I didn't think he'd come in and do great things right from the start. He had to deal with an athletic transition that's harder on a 170-pound guard than it is on most of the other guys because all the other points are way bigger than he was. And his shot was still figuring itself out. He was joining the least stable franchise in, in NBA history. I don't know. But... The progression, the steady progression in shooting, his passing, his aggressiveness on defense, he's showing all of that. And I've said since uh, about a month and a half ago, I think if Fox is going to become a star, which I define as 16 points a game, 8-9 assists, 45% shooting, strong defense, this is the trajectory that his rookie season would go. Mm-hmm. It's been exactly what I'd expect. And that's the best thing you can say for the Kings right now. That the guy they bet on with the uh, and not the biggest pick. You no, know, it would be the biggest pick I think in the last couple of years. He's, his improvement's been great. I wonder how much uh, not making the Rising Stars game sort of lit a fire under him. That, yeah. that all, sort of coincides with his. He was playing well before he was announced as not making it. But um, he's been lights out since, you know, the Rising Stars rosters were announced. And that yeah. that has to be a little embarrassing for him. I mean, he's a top-five pick. He's playing a ton of minutes, so it's not like he's one of those high-picked rookies that didn't have an opportunity to make the Rising Stars game. He certainly had opportunities to make it. Um, and he didn't, and quite frankly, you know, I don't think he deserved it considering how early they make no. those rosters. If they had made the roster today, I think he probably makes it. Yeah. But unfortunately, they, they make those rosters a lot earlier than his hot January. He also had a, a little bit of a disadvantage because all the guards in this class, yeah. I think were more NBA ready than he was at least physically. I mean, Lonzo was going to make it even how 
terrible Lonzo's been shooting. Um, and Dennis Smith Jr. has been fine, been great. Donovan Mitchell's been great. So I, I, I don't think that I, – I, if you had asked me in October, is Fox going to make the uh, rookie, rookie game? I don't think I would have said yeah. Really? But no, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, I had, I had, I tried to hold in my my expectations of Fox more than most people. Um, but if you ask me right now, it, hey, is he going to make it next year? Oh yeah, he'll make it next year. No, no doubt in my mind. The other thing with Fox that I like, Jaeger has shown. You know, we've gotten to know, know Jaeger now. He's been here for a couple of years. He likes players and he doesn't like players. Omri Caspi <laughs> is an example of a guy that he kind of doesn't like. You know, I would say Scalabissier yep. is a guy who he's kind of hot and cold on, but that's speculation on my part. He hasn't really said anything that would totally make you think that. But when you see how he uses them, you can kind of speculate that maybe Absolutely. he's a huge Scal fan. Yeah. A guy like Fox, like, I don't know what this means for anything, but it seems like Jaeger really is a. Uh, De'Aaron Fox guy like the motor that you talked about him having is something that a lot of the Kings rookies and young players don't necessarily have and Jaeger has preached many times that the Kings are too nice they need to be tougher and while motor and toughness isn't like exactly the same thing I think what Jaeger is kind of getting at is he needs players to play with all of their energy and effort on both ends of the floor at all times especially for a young team and Fox for as much as I like the other young players, Fox is really the only one that I shouldn't say he's the only one, but he has the best motor out of the young uh, out of the young guys to me. And I think Jaeger really appreciates that kind of energy from from a young kid. Two, he's also giving him a ton of minutes, which is not something Jaeger generally does for young players. And three, something that uh, not to just give Tim a million shoutouts this episode, but Tim <laughs> tweeted something about uh, the highest pace on the Kings. Fox was number one. Jaeger came out a couple of weeks ago mentioning how he wants the Kings to play faster. He's yelling from the sidelines, play faster. I think it was in the B. And Fox is the only point guard that is really uh, taking that to heart and pushing the pace as much as he possibly can. Of course, sometimes the lineups that he plays in are slow, or they were earlier in the season. Now he's playing with some younger players that are faster. But he seems to be building that relationship with Jaeger and sort of giving Jaeger what Jaeger says he wants out of his players. And I think that's a nice little part of all this. You can't ask for much more than uh, a building relationship between a young point guard and the coach that the franchise seems to have full support behind. Yeah. And, and regardless of how many more games they win, that itself makes it a, a solid season to me. You watched Fox a lot more than I did um, in college, so maybe you can comment on this better than I can. But the other thing that I think the Kings have with Fox that, that really complements him well is when he shares the floor with Bogdan Bogdanovich. Because to me, watching Fox in the NBA, the two areas of improvement that he needed to make from earlier in the season was, one, his shot making, but also it doesn't seem like he's uh, a great playmaker right now. Maybe he was or wasn't at Kentucky. I only saw him you know, five or six times. But playing with a guy like Bogdanovich, who is above average playmaker for a shooting guard, I would yeah. say, or, or a, an above average, like Bogdanovich is the best playmaker, the best passer to me. And having that uh, guy compliment Fox, someone who can sort of take the playmaking duties off of his plate if he's, if he's struggling to find the king shots, has been a real nice safety net for Fox. But it's not even really a safety net because those are two young guys that are going to be playing with each other, hopefully for the next I don't know, five or six years. And I just love that pairing. Like those guys to me seem to complement each other extremely well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the best thing for Fox is that he has somebody who is such a fearless shooter. And and yeah, he he was used to that in college. Like he played with uh, Malik Monk. So he's used to having a guy who's going to be constantly moving, constantly looking to get a shot. Um, I wouldn't say Fox was the best playmaker in college. And, and and that's kind of translated to now. He's a he's a good point guard. Mm. Like he's, he's a smart he's a smart passer. He's got a good assist rate for his usage. Um, but that is definitely something that he's got to improve on. And 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 it's hard for me to be too upset with it because, I mean, I know that Lonzo Lonzo's the best playmaking rookie we've seen in a while. Well, I don't know about rookie, but he was in college, and and that's gonna and that's translated. Um, 
Donovan Mitchell is a pretty good playmaker. Um, Dennis Smith is pretty good. But Fox is Fox is fine. Um, he's got to get better. And I think the only thing that can improve that is time and chemistry with other guys' age. And I think some of that playmaking skill might be hidden in the fact that, I mean, besides Bogey and maybe Buddy a little bit, there really aren't any good scores on this team. Yeah. There just aren't. Like, I, I, it's really hard for me not to get too excited when I'm staring at some of the names in this draft class who just all good scores, great scores. Like imagining Fox playing with uh, with DeAndre with a DeAndre Ayton, that'd be great. Or Michael Porter, that'd be great. He needs that go-to score before we really know how good a passer he is. Because right now he's got Bogey and sometimes Buddy. That's a good point. They really he really has nobody. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody, but he doesn't have a ton of options to you know yeah. get guys shots for. Um, yeah, That's a good point. and and especially when the offense is ten percent, throw the ball to Zach Randolph and get the hell out of the way. Yeah, I mean they're still playing it. I think it's uh, second or third slowest pace in the entire league. So again, that'll yeah. sort of bring everyone's offensive numbers down compared to the rest of the NBA when you're playing that. Slow. Yeah. Moving on from the kids for a, for a little while, uh, we got the trade deadline coming coming up February eighth, Thursday. Kings are in one a, week. One week. The Kings are in. I wouldn't say they're in a lot of rumors, but George Hill has been tossed around in many rumors over the past couple weeks. And there's some young players that are available that you can kind of see why the Kings would be interested in them, despite the fact that they haven't been tied to them in any rumors, which I shouldn't, I should say shouldn't discourage anybody from thinking the Kings will trade for them because there's been minimal leaks from the front office when it comes to deals that actually take place. So I'm not shocked that we haven't heard the Kings involved in too much. That being said, I don't know how active they'll be at the deadline. If I had to guess, I would say they aren't going to be that active. But from what you've seen out there, from what the Kings roster looks like right now, what are your expectations heading into the trade deadline on Thursday? Uh, if you, if I had to put money on it, I would say they don't make a deal. Only because if the, the options for George Hill are shrinking, and I think that comes down to Cleveland pretty much. Um, as we get closer to the deadline without another Cleveland move, like trading the net stick for somebody, I think it increases the likelihood of Hill to the Cavs only because they know this team is in shambles. They're going to try any move they can to try to patch things up. Um, but if Hill goes to Cleveland, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just for fries, what, 8 million, exp- 8 million expiration and Shumpert just because that's the only other thing to fill. And maybe if the Kings are lucky, they get uh, the Cleveland's first back. But if they just get a couple seconds, I mean, this feels like if they want to move George Hill that badly because he wants to get out of here, it just feels like Sack will just do it. But why wouldn't they have done it two weeks ago if if that was the move they were going to make? So. If I had to put a bet on it, I don't think the Kings end up doing anything. But it's not the worst thing in the world because this team's not going to be defined by what they do in the trade in this trade deadline. They'll be defined by next summer. So if nothing happens, I'm okay with it. Keeping George Hill around, even even though he's kind of been complaining to media and stuff. I, I forget who pointed it out on Twitter, but. When when Fox had that put back dunk for the win, George Hill was the first guy off the bench going to high five him and congratulate him. So even though George Hill has been kind of a curmudgeon and had wildly poor expectations for his role and this team, I don't think it's a bad thing if he stays around, and I don't think it's a bad thing if they stand pat this trade deadline. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on the deadline uh, for George Hill. On one hand, I want to say, like, if they don't trade him, they are seriously tanking his value because he's rotting right now on the bench. Like, he's in and out of the lineup because he's one of Jaeger's veterans that he's sitting. And then when he is in the lineup, he's either starting off the ball, which is not his primary position, although he is 
fine off the ball. Or he's coming in off the bench and he's just not putting up any numbers at all outside of like a decent three-point shooting percentage. His numbers just aren't there at all. At the same time, if they do just leave him on the team for the rest of the year, I don't know. His value can't really get much worse than it is right now. You're yeah. already looking at like a salary dump. So I guess on the other hand, you know, much as his value is tanking, it's already tanked. So I don't know how much lower you can get than it is right yeah. now. And teams know who George Hill is. Yeah, he's not a he's not he's not a young guy. And and any smart coach is going to be like, I know who George Hill is. Nothing is really hidden in Sacramento. So I don't necessarily agree that I think his value is going to get much worse. Maybe it can't. Just maybe. Yeah, it probably can't. But because teams know, Sack just wants to dump him. Sack just wants to get out of that. And and if next summer comes and, and some team shuffles point guards around and I don't know. It wouldn't be surprise me if the Kings end up getting a slightly better deal than just, hey, here's a seven million expiration and twelve million in next year expiration. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It, it, it's not. I, I don't think it's a terrible thing either way. I don't think they'll do anything of significance. But if you have been paying attention to how the Kings are running their front office, they've been doing a lot of little things that they do that may not actually help them on the court, but it helps their perception around the league to agents or other teams or veterans that will hopefully sign with the team in the future. And from that standpoint, I think like a nice make good move for the franchise would be to free some of these veterans who are, you know, they're, they've to their credit, they've been, good citizens here but you know garrett temple wants to play every night and you know costa Cooper wants to play every night and you know these guys would prefer to play on a team that has playoff hopes so from that standpoint i think just as like a make good like hey we're you know we're trying to do things right as an organization we want agents back in our good graces we want agents to let us work out their prospects around draft time we will let these guys go and search out offers, like let the agents go search out offers or whatever, and you know maybe a team will take Garrett Temple for free or take Costa Cufas for free, quote-unquote free, a salary dump or whatever. And I could see the Kings doing those sorts of moves just to, I don't know, leadership in the locker room, like it's very hard to quantify, and I think those guys have done a good job so far this year, but we're heading into, you know, full youth movement part of the season Um, For the most part, I think, you know, I like having those guys around, but at least the guys that are on one-year deals, like both Costa Kufus and Garrett Temple can opt out at the end of the year. I don't know if either of them will, because I don't know if they're finding more money on the open market this summer. There's not a whole lot of teams with cap space, but I could see them just letting those guys leave if if they want to, and they can find a deal that makes sense for the Kings. I agree. I agree. If, yeah, I I, I don't know that I can project that they'll do a move, but if they do, I hope either Garrett Temple or George Hill end up on the playoff team because they, they, they both do to kind of deserve it. I'd love to see Garrett Temple as like a playoff wing for somebody, like an eighth or ninth, ninth man. I think he would be really great in that role. Um, he's put in real, a good minutes, great locker room guy for the Kings since he's been here. So from that standpoint, like he's probably my favorite veteran on the roster, so I wouldn't mind oh, keeping him oh around. Oh, God. We're arguing but. Tim's point for him. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that there. There are some young players that are available that are of some interest. Like, I know we've been talking about Rodney Hood for a couple of weeks, who Utah is trying yeah. to trade. Uh, we've been talking about it, but just so everyone else who's listening to the show is kind of aware. Dave Yeager has been a fan of Rodney Hood's for a while. Um, one of the reasons that he left Memphis, I would put this on a very low-level reason, but he wanted the uh, the Grizzlies to draft Rodney Hood. They obviously didn't, um, but he's been a fan of Rodney Hood for a while. Rodney Hood's available. Wouldn't surprise me if the Kings took a shot on Hood, but I don't know. I like every offer that we've come up with, just spitballing what it might take to get Hood, kind of makes me uncomfortable. Like you're gonna have to give up some significant young pieces to make that happen. I don't know if it's worth it, but it's something worth mentioning. I think because. It's possible. It's possible that they go after a guy like Rodney Hood. Stanley Johnson and Justice Winslow are also sort of kind of young players that their teams have, I don't want to say given up on, but you can get those guys, it sounds like, if you want to. The Kings haven't shown any interest, as far as we know, uh, publicly anyways. But do any of those guys interest you at all? Hood, Johnson, Winslow, or someone else that I haven't mentioned? 
Uh, Hood, at least, is a primary scorer. Well, maybe not primary, but, uh, you know, a a second option kind of guy. Um, I wish he was more of a small forward because you're still kind of playing that small. But he'd he'd be pretty good. Um, He certainly would offer more off-ball scoring and more lineup versatility. But he just kind of feels like a slightly bigger buddy heel to me. And a more proven offensive buddy heel. But I, I, I don't know how... That, if, if the Kings made a move for him, that would be a pretty good kind of feel-good move. But it also wouldn't be like a, wow, okay, we definitely got uh, a starter for the next couple of years there. Um, I'd like to buy low on Justice Winslow just because I liked him coming out of college. He's a big guy, solid enough defender. Um, but... The, it, his shooting hasn't been great, and he certainly hasn't been playing that much. But buy low kind of thing that that'd be nice. Um, I'm not really into Stanley Johnson anymore. He's been he, he's been quite bad. Yeah, he's been quite bad, especially shooting. I'd much rather have either of the other two guys. But I also think uh, Stanley Johnson would be the easiest for Sacramento to get. So who knows if if you got to take a flyer, why not? Especially if yeah, as long as it's not. Well, he probably would, especially Rodney Hood. Like, if you're get, trading for Rodney Hood, you're definitely getting a, giving up one of the young pieces. Yeah, you got to give up something good Hood for sure. Yeah. Outside of Hill, uh, Scott Lemassier and Malachi Richardson have been named in rumors. So those are guys that I don't know. There's something to be said about guys who have actually been reported on as being available in some way or another. Um, how comfortable would you be trading one of those two? Uh, I'd be fine trading either, really. I mean, Scal, not Scal. I wouldn't be comfortable trading Scal because you knew drafting him that this is as young a dude and as uh, no confidence in college. He had no confidence in college. So you knew that, especially with Bigman, this was a two, three-year process. And I don't want to trade him a year and a half into his career. Um, he's, you, you can't see at all what kind of player he's going to end up. Um, but Malachi, sure. Malachi hasn't shown anything. I, I know that, uh, our buddy John likes him a lot. Um, uh, but he just, he's too redundant with this roster. He's not going to get any playing time. That trade value is not going up. For me, Malachi, like you said, like I just I see no avenue for playing time for that guy. I don't know when. Like maybe he's okay. I just don't know when we're ever gonna find that out. Like it does, there's, I just see yeah. no. Unless you have massive injuries or Jaeger just decides, all right, Malachi, you're getting 30 minutes for the next two weeks. Let's see, which might happen. I don't know. I wouldn't rule that out completely. But other than that, I don't know how you ever find out what he is. I've never been a huge Skull fan, but the only reason why I would be hesitant to trade him. I shouldn't say the only reason because there have been flashes with him for sure. I don't know if what you're getting for LeBissier is worth missing out on his potential. So I would almost just rather keep him because I don't know if his his, his value is probably not that high. And whatever you get back, yeah. I'll just I'll just stick with him and see what he is. I'm okay passing up whatever yeah. like minor asset you get for him and just keeping him and see if he figures it out. If he doesn't. Oh well, what did you miss out on? Like a second round pick? I don't know. What are you getting for Scal at this point? A late first? Nah. I'd rather just keep Scal and, yeah. and see what he is. I completely agree. This isn't like last year where uh, a mid to late first was a was a good thing. Um, this class is great at the top and not very deep. So I'm not one that's going to say, yeah, trade Scal for another pick. No thanks. I'd rather just stick with him. Heading into the second half of the season, um, we're pretty much at the halfway mark. We've learned a lot in the first half. Is there anything specifically that you're looking forward to in the second half that you're like, all right, you know, we've learned this many things from these players. I'd really like to figure out this as we head into the second half of the season before the year ends. Uh, Like like we said earlier, just more lineup consistency. Um, I'm really interested to see if Fox can keep these shooting numbers up. Uh, I'm really interested to see if Willie keeps his biorhythm motor at, you know, that 70, 80% mark that he has been jogging along all, all year. Um, I'm interested to see if Scal comes back now that, 
he's going to get a starting job if, like last year with Willie, Jaeger gives him a big spike of minutes towards the end of the year. And, yeah, that's pretty much it because I'm also going to be so distracted by March Madness and and uh, the highs of April. So Yeah, that's when I start uh, checking the college basketball. Yeah, those, right about now. those three, four guys. Those three, four guys. Oh, Bogey. I want to see if Bogey's how how he handles this uh, rookie wall. That's about it. Yeah, I should mention uh, that just today the Kings announced that Scott Lavissier is going to miss the next two to three weeks with a shoulder strain. Um, he injured his shoulder a couple of weeks ago. Tried to play through it, uh, and now the Kings are kind of sitting him, saying it's not too serious, but we want him to rest it. So we're going to have to at least wait. Yeah two or three more weeks before we see Scal make any any significant improvements. But if he is here past the deadline, that's sort of the guy I'm most intrigued to watch. I hope Jaeger gives him a, a real healthy opportunity here in the second half um, because I'd love to learn more about him. Out of the guys that haven't proved a ton this season, to me, he's the one still with the most potential and the most to gain if he is legit. And the more intel the Kings can gather on what he is, as the rest of the season rolls on, uh, the better they'll have like an idea of, you know, do we have a power forward here or do we not? Do we need to draft one? Uh, not that you wouldn't draft a guy because you already have one, but still, it'd, it'd be really nice to know yeah. by the end of the season what Scalabissier is, or at least a better idea than yeah. we have right now. I agree. Uh, moving on to the draft, it wouldn't be a, uh, a Bryant podcast without at least hitting the draft <laughs> a little bit. I only wrote one question down here for draft talk, but feel free to go wherever you want with it. But I will preface this question by saying, or giving an example of uh, last year, right? The, there was some rumors heading into the draft that Lonzo Ball might fall to five because oh. the Lakers were just being dumb with their pick, throwing out all these different rumors. Oh, we might take Fox, whatever. And there was a sentiment around Sacramento that I certainly shared with uh, if Lonzo falls to five, yes, you absolutely have to take him. But I'm still rooting for De'Aaron Fox to be the guy at five. That's the guy who I want the Kings to draft. So taking draft order out of the equation, and is there any guy like between one and ten that you just think his fit with the Kings is so great that you, you that's the guy you're rooting for even though you would take others above him if they happen to fall to where the Kings are? Well, the good news for the Kings is whether you subscribe to fit drafting, like you, you draft solely to fit around the guys that you already have, or you draft for the best player available, I think that nine out of the top 11 guys in this class, a really, really damn good top-tier class, could all conceivably be strong fits for Sacramento. And I, I agree that in best pure fit, it might be Luka Doncic because – Let's 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 list the biggest things the Kings need. Well, first off, let's say that the only two players that I think for sure guaranteed are on this team in three years are De'Aaron Fox and Bogdan. I, would agree I think that. that's pretty safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if looking at those two guys, what's the biggest need that you would need for the team going forward? I would say primary scorer, solid post presence, rim protector and more shooting and floor spacing and defense. So all nine out of 10 guys in this class fit one of those bills. Luka Doncic is a top tier scorer. I mean, the stuff that he is doing in Europe, which is a, I I know that some people don't like to agree with this. It is Europe is a harder league to play in than college. If Luka Doncic was playing in college, I do not think we'd even be having a question as to who the class player in the draft is he's just a freaking wizard with uh, on offense he just off the pick and roll he's great he's a great shooter he's a fantastic passer um and he can just he can grab and go and and do 40 different things with the ball it, it just it, the offensive skill set of Luka Doncic is incredible I know that he doesn't check that later box of defense, and I understand the hesitation with taking a guy because he's not a great athlete. Mm-hmm. I think he can. There are some things that he can improve on that as he fills out, but he's never going to be a great athlete, and he's certainly not like the prototypical 
here's the fit you want at small forward for the Kings. But just adding somebody with his offensive floor, it would be incredible. And he would allow, uh, he, <laughs> the, the, the passing that you would have between Fox, Bogdan, and Luka Doncic in this pace and space era would just be insane. That would be such a great fit for Sacramento on offense. Um, and second for me, and a pretty clear second, would be DeAndre Ayton. You don't see a guy with his level of scoring upside and physical tools come along very often. Um, Sam Vecini of The Athletic had a great line about him. It, it, if everything breaks right, he has the physical tools to be one of the most dominant in terms of his size and his length and skill set basketball players that has entered the class in a while. Like, I think his ceiling is higher than Doncic. I think his floor is a little lower, but he would give Sacramento that low post score. He would give them, I think, a 1A on offense in terms of you know scoring output. He's great in the low post. I mean, his shooting percentage at the post is insane. And his, his jump shot is okay. It's getting there. I don't know that it's a guaranteed thing yet, but he's also 18 and he's being asked to shoot from the outside for I think probably the first time in his career. Um, and over the last three weeks, pretty much since conference season started, I've been more and more impressed with his defense. He was terrible to start the year, but he's been a much better rim protector over the last month or so. And, and I mean, we say this all the time about freshmen, this is the first time he's being asked to actually play defense. He was not asked to play in high school, and you can see that he doesn't have the natural instincts on defense that he should. So I think that untapped potential is huge, and if the Kings are at second and Doncic is gone, there's nobody who even comes close for me than DeAndre Ayton. And the best thing, like I said, I think he fits with any one of the Kings' big guys, whichever one of Willie Cauley-Stein, Scow, or Harry Giles that hits. So I, I love that fit. But you can just go down the line, and and pretty much everybody kind of fits. Um, Marvin Bagley is a great fit on defense, but he, he'd give them the low post score they need. Um I love Michael Porter, even though he hasn't played this year. He's a great shooter. He could definitely be that go-to scorer. Um, I cannot stress enough how much I love Macau Bridges. You do love him on both ends of the court. Oh, if if the Kings, I, the Kings are probably too high up to take Macau now. Yeah, but I would go buy that jersey immediately if they drafted him. Um, Mo Bamba would be a great rim protector and at least offers flashes on offense. I'm, I'm getting more and more down on his offensive game, even though he's kind of kicked up his uh, production in uh, the last in, since conference play has started. Um, but there's not a rim protector. <laughs> you would ask, you cannot paint a better rim protector than Mo Bamba right now. Seven, nine wingspan. That's just insane. The stuff he can do on defense is great. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is the best big man defender I've seen in a long time, and he's the best shooter out of the bigs I just named. So, really, this class offers a big, deep talent of top-tier players, and I love most of the fits. So this is a pretty good year for if this rebuild goes right, your last foray into the lottery. The Kings, they kind of have their guard rotation set here. And so much at the top of this draft is, like, exactly the pieces that they don't have. Which is why I'm having a hard time, like, honing in on a guy that I really want outside of Luka at one, of course. But like you were saying, like, all these, I would take any, again, I haven't watched more than a handful of games out of any of these guys. But so many of them I am 100% comfortable taking. The only one that I have hesitation yeah. on is, is uh, Mo Bamba, who he's the guy, granted, I have seen the least. But he's the one that I look at, and, you know, I, I don't think he's a top-four pick, and I hope the Kings have a top-four pick. And 
Again, not that I love to draft for fit all the time or complete fit. He's the only guy that I question if he can play with Willie. You can speak to that more than I can, but when I see Mo Bamba and what he is, I wonder where the Kings are going to find offense from their bigs if he's if he's the guy yeah. and Willie's still the guy. Well, I think uh, with Willie's production on offense this year, it, I'm, I'm not as worried on offense. Um, and to and since Willie has kind of made it clear that he doesn't want to be that primary rim protector, more of a secondary kind yeah. of guy, Mo would be great on defense. But I, you know, Mo Bamba more than any of their other guys I just mentioned has the lowest offensive floor I think, and he at least in college right now. Maybe that changes in the NBA. Maybe he plays up to the um, the you know the the competition better maybe he cares more in the nba but he kind of looks like willie to me right now where he i mean ayton has kind of got this too a little bit but mo has got that kind of inconsistent biorhythm mm-hmm. where it just looks like he's coasting in some games and that's the biggest thing that scares me especially if the the king's big that comes out of this moving into the future is willie because then you got two guys that aren't on all the time. Um, but yeah, they're kind of moving out of Bomba range for me right now. I've got him seventh on my big board and he might move behind Jaron Jackson jr. I, I, I understand the hesitation, uh, especially in offense. Uh, what's the word on Porter? Is he, is he going to play this year? I know there's been some updates uh, recently that I, they're, they're keep being whispers, nothing concrete. Um, and, and his, his brother's point, Jonte Porter is playing in Missouri right now. He was supposed to play with his brother. I feel terrible for those guys because Jonte Porter gave up his last year of high school so that he could come play the one year his brother was going to be in college. And then he goes and hurts his back. That's, that's a sad story. And Missouri should be much better than they are. And to Jonte Porter's credit, he's been doing a pretty good job without his brother, but I I don't know if Michael Porter is going to play. Um, I think he wants to, and it would sure be great if he did because I think he is easily the most dismissible of the guys just because he's playing. He's not playing, and you know we're losing it all in Trey Young. We're losing it all in DeAndre Ayton. We're losing it in Marvin Bagley. But Michael Porter might be the best player in college right now. He might have been if he hadn't gotten hurt this year. That shooting, that scoring was, by all accounts, and from what I saw, because I've watched more high school tape on him than pretty much any other guy I've ever looked at, he was a legit scorer. I would love to see him come back healthy in March. problem is I don't know that Missouri's going to make the tournament without him. Yeah. Um, but the good news for you and pretty much anybody that rightfully doesn't care about college ball until right now is everybody else in the top. Oh, let's see right here. I'm going down the list. Like, yeah, 10, 13 of my top 15 players. And the only two being no Michael Porter jr. And no Mitchell Robinson, who's not playing basketball this year. They're all making the tournament. Every team is making the tournament. It's great to hear. The Fultz thing sucked last March, not having him to watch for oh, the tournament. Yeah. Let's just not talk about Fultz. That yeah, it's so depressing. better not mentioning him. Uh, do, you, yeah. do you worry about Porter long-term with that injury? Because I'm thinking now, like, if he doesn't play at all, I'd feel real bad for him and his brother. But that could work out for the Kings if they get stuck at 4, 5, 3. Um, but is there any any issue long-term with that injury? I know it's pretty – I mean, it's serious enough to keep him out the whole year. Is that something you got to worry about heading into yeah. the draft? I mean, sure, a back injury is always yeah. going to be kind of scary, especially for such a young guy. But on the other hand, he's also a young guy. Yeah, I think he, he, he's like 19. So there's plenty of time for an actual healthy return. And I looked at when, when the injury happened, I kind of was looked into it, and it was the same thing that Dwight Howard had after the summer before he left the Lakers. And he returned pretty healthy for Houston the next year, and he wasn't a young guy at that point. Yeah, he looks like so, he's, I mean, he looks like Dwight Howard. Yeah, he looks like Dwight Howard. So the hope is that this isn't serious. I I'm not moving Michael Porter down 
because of it, but I'm also not a doctor. Yeah, right. So what every team that talks to Michael Porter has a decision to make. Um, and, and I get if Kings fans don't want to take another kind of injured dude because we've already got Harry Giles and it's a lot of eggs in the super talented injured basket. Worked out for Philly. I, yeah. Oh, it definitely worked out for, well, mostly worked out for Yeah, Philly. mostly. I think kind of lost Again, in, in, in right. how damn good Embiid is, is, is. Yeah, he's only playing, what, 75% of games? Something like that. He's awesome, though. When he's on the court, he's... he's oh, he's so good. I should have had him first that year. Who'd you have? I had I I had Wiggins first. And, well, yeah, Wiggins is look, Looking back, it should have been it should have been Embiid. He's just so good. I thought Wiggins would be better, but that's another conversation. He's been okay. He's been fine, yeah. but not, not like the best player on a playoff team that you thought he would be, or you hoped he would be. You he know? definitely, definitely likes having Carl Anthony Towns to take most of the uh, attention away. Yeah, that works for him. Yeah. All right, Brian, we're, we'll have you back on as we get into March and closer to the draft for sure. And I think uh, as we get closer to the draft, you and I can have a Miles Bridges, Macau Bridges debate. Yeah, I, I didn't, I wanted to save that one. I love Miles Bridges so much, but he's falling like, he's way too far down every draft board to even consider with where the Kings are going to be picking. But, I mean, I got him at 10. Yeah, so it's but not like fall to ten. Yeah. Crazy, but they're not. Yeah, they're not picking in that range. If if they passed on and the other guys in their range for Miles Bridges, I'm gonna I'd, I'd start throwing. Picks. Quickly on Bridges, I read uh, your the your draft notebook, your last one, and I agree with everything you wrote about him. There, he's suffering from I think from being a sophomore who hasn't really made a leap, which a lot of a lot of guys don't. I mean, but because he was so good as a freshman, I wish he came out last year too. Yeah, and it's yeah. hurting him. I bet he. I bet off. he is with. I bet he is right now, too, with how much uh, all of the non-basketball stuff that's coming out of Michigan State right now. Well, that, that for sure. But also, maybe, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into his like psyche, but that's also sort of like a nice quality that some players have where like he's such a I – don't, I don't know if loyal is the right word, but he loved playing at Michigan State. He wanted to come back yeah. and play for Izzo. And I don't know if that – if you get – if there's any like tangible like qualities to a person – when they forego millions of dollars to spend another year in college because he's so dedicated to the program. I don't know. I like Miles Bridges. I, I, I will yeah. take anything that he does and spin it into a positive form just because I like him. Yeah, and, and I think it's easy to criticize. Like, his, he hasn't made this big jump, and, and people always go, oh, he cost himself a lot of money. Well, Joe Noah didn't cost himself that much money. He yeah. got it all back, though. Right, Michigan right. State's one of the most fun teams to watch. They're awesome. Darren Jackson Jr. is great. The off-court stuff oh. is terrible. I mean, that is so oh. – I mean, it's terrible for all the reasons that it's terrible, but from just as, like, a very passive college basketball fan, I, like, watching them play is difficult. All right, Brian, thanks for joining the podcast. This is fun. Tell people uh, where they can find you. Well, you can find me on a little site called uh, Sacktown Royalty, Ooh. in case you've ever heard of that. Um I'll, I'll probably have another draft uh, notebook in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, and I'm planning on doing a retrospective look uh, on De'Aaron Fox over the, la- the, the last two years of Fox in the near future. So, um, yeah, Sacktown Royalty. Where's that? All right. Looking forward to it. All right, Brian. Have a good night. You too.
I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.